I'm excited about this opportunity to be with you in word, but I want to be very clear before I even start this difficult theological word is that my prayer is that you're not ready to hear from me at all. My prayer is that you're ready to hear from the word of God and that when you hear the word of God, the authority in which it comes is already ready to prick your heart. Um, if you've been listening to the authority of the word all week, this is nothing new to you. This is a continuation of God speaking that you're familiar with his voice. I think this world has fallen short to the fact that you get familiar with a preacher's voice or his personality. But that is not the point of church. The church is not the personality of a preacher. The church is the church all by itself. So what I would love for you to do is as we stand in the authority of the word of God, I pray that you will read it with me. I know I told y'all last week that we will get deep into you participating in the, the word of God. And I want to stay true. So the first couple of weeks we do this, it's going to be awkward. It's going to feel like I don't even know why I'm doing this. Some of them may not choose not to participate. This is not a forced thing. But what it is going to be is something that I truly believe that if the words come out of your mouth, Maybe you'll be able not only, A, to hear it comprehens comprehensively, but you'll see the power in it. So what I would love for you is turn to James chapter 2. That is our scripture today. So I know we're in this new age where you preach to me. I don't need my Bible, but I might be correcting that a little bit today where you're going to need it. So I may start off in verse 17. I challenge you to read verse 18. We're going to go to verse 23 today. So I'm going to read one. You're going to read one. We're going to pray and we're going to dive into the word of God under his authority. In verse 17, it reads, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Congregation? I organized this so I had the short part. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder. Are you willing? Nice, you foolish fellow. That's... Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Dearly, Father, we are excited about your word and your word alone. God, I pray this church is singularly focused from this point forward. That I don't even want to get in the way of that. God, because at any point you choose to take me home, the next person who delivers the word under the authority of God is just as powerful. So, God, I am nothing but a part of the story you're creating with your church. So thank you for allowing me to partake as a broken vessel. Thank you for pouring in as I pour out. So, God, I pray that everything you've poured into me in purity comes out. So, God, I don't want anything else. And even though this text is 
deep and can be hard to understand in the complexity of which people have mentioned all as in my studies. I do pray that people, you will give everyone, including myself, the clarity of thought, but not just the knowledge, the application. God, I love you today, and I thank you for the opportunity to change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Before I even give you the depth of this, let's just start with the background, and I'll get to the story, etc. I want to give you the background because you're going to need it. In James chapter 1, we recognize that James is going to have people thinking contradiction to Paul. That's not true. James is writing, and you have to understand his authority, that James is writing under the authority, and some people believe the book of James came before Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and Romans. So therefore, he's not writing to contradict anything. He's writing to get people to understand the applications of faith. He's also writing, check the audience, to either two things, Jewish people that are on diaspora or everyone, all the 12 tribes, verse 1, verse, verse one, chapter 1, and he's saying, hey, I'm writing to people who have been scattered, and their faith is now being scattered scattered as well. That's going to make sense because I wanted to give you the background. If the audience is scattered and then therefore they have lost the connectivity that they desired in the community, now their faith, the application of their faith, although they still maintain their belief or knowledge of God, their applications were going wayward. So the rest of the book, for all my ladies and gentlemen that want an easy applicational practical book to read, James is it. The problem though that I've learned over time is that we have a lot of people who know God but don't act like it. So what he's talking to is people that how in the world, if you go up a couple chapters and a couple verses, he says, how in the world do you treat people with partiality? Meaning how do rich people get the blessing? So when they walk into church, you sit them on the right side of the church because they got money. When people walk in looking good, you're treating them right too. Uh, when people need something, you don't even bless them. How in the world could you say, I got faith in a God, but do the opposite of what he asked you to do? So the best way I can give this to you as we break this text down is, um, how many of y'all remember before there was iPhones, iPads, and everything our kids are distracted by, how many of y'all remember action figures? Okay. Good, because this illustration will work. You remember when you was excited to get the action figure. It came in a box, most importantly. For those who like wrestling, it was wrestling. For those who like Barbies, even though it didn't look like some of us, we like Barbies. It, it, it didn't matter. All I know is that, who, and now this is talking to some of my brothers and my sisters, because I'm not going to be that guy. But how many of us like G.I. Joe's? Yeah, Snake and all them used to come. G.I. Joe was a real thing. The problem with G.I. Joe's and all the action figures is what? You open the box, you take them out. They got all the hinges of movement, meaning they knee had a little move. If you bought an expensive one, if you was broke like a dollar store, only could move his hips. That was it. It just bend over and come back up. That's all it could do. That was the broke one. If you had money, money, you went to Toys R Us before it went out of business. You had the elbow hinges. You had the knee hinges. You had the hip hinges. And sometimes they can even turn all the way in a 360. It, it, this is legitimate hingy. The problem was if somebody had to put their hand on it in order for it to move, it had all the ability. The problem I see with Christianity is that when God saved you, he gave you all your hinges. But some of us won't move unless somebody pressures us to do so. 
Oh, we got all the hinges, meaning God, when he saved you, he said, you are, I gave you the Holy Spirit. You are fully empowered to do the work that I put my hands for you to do. But when I walk away and I am still present, just because I walked away doesn't mean you just lay on the ground. The problem is from Sunday to Sunday, what does your Monday look like? Some of us are just laying on the ground. Some of us have all the hinges to do the work of God, but we ain't done nothing. And so what James is saying is that y'all like action figures, y'all, you got the faith. You ain't got no works. You good, hate to say this, for nothing. And you're going to see some words I'm fixing to pinpoint, and it may not feel good when I use them. Because he's going to use words like, you useless, you dead. Or let me say it like this, you not. Your faith without works is dead. Your faith without works is useless. Then he's going to switch it and use Abraham, and then all of a sudden he's going to tell you what it should look like and what the result should be. So I hope you like Abraham because we're fixing to dig in. In verse 17, he starts it off with straight up to your face. He's just going to kick it in your face. He says with this, he said, faith, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. The first thing that every theological orthodox Christian should ask themselves right now is, hey, Pierre, I thought faith is good by itself. You are right. He's not saying, and I want to be very clear, he's not saying that you have to have works before you are saved. So I want to make sure everybody's like, well, Pierre, I thought, you know, works is not, you're right. You know what the word faith and the connotation he's using is genuine devotion. Not the faith in which saves you. He's saying, after you are saved by faith, through grace, it is your genuine devotion to God that should produce what? Works. Because if I'm devoted to the person I have faith in, I should start looking, acting, walking, and talking like the person I have devotion in. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're single or married, but if you're married and you saw me walking in the streets, although I wear the ring and I say I'm devoted to Monica Cannings, but I'm walking the streets as if I'm not devoted, wouldn't you question my oath? But for some reason, we have, as Christians, have separated the two. Like I made an oath to God, or God, let me better yet, made a covenant with me, but I walk around the streets as if I wear no ring. And he is like, that's useless to me. I, don't, I hope this sermon doesn't hurt, but it's true that we have a lot of useless Christians. And you have to wonder if the church was full of useful Christians, how much work could we really do? And if you don't believe me, look at the verses above. Just, just watch it. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of them says, go in peace and be warm and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? That word use came into play again, didn't it? He's saying, man, if somebody come to you and say, we hungry and I need clothing. And you say, mm, be blessed. What use are you? The whole reason I sent somebody to you is so you could do something with it. You know what happens, though? If we don't like them, earlier in the chapter it talks about partiality, we won't be useful because we don't like the person. I wonder how many enemies we ain't helped because we don't like them. 
They weren't rich enough. There was not a good enough transaction to take place. I help you, you help me. And you know what that is? A lack of genuine what? Usefulness. He's saying, hey, hey, people of diaspora, the 12 tribes of diaspora, I'm going to need you to stop talking like it and start walking like it. Stop telling people be blessed. I've seen people do it all the time on the phone. How many of y'all do that? You know, don't raise your hand. Be blessed, my brother. The phone, the person on the phone was like, brother, I just told you I'm on the streets. How many of us end our email signatures a certain type of way in his service and grace and love and peace and joy? <laughs> but your email above was all trash. <laughs> your email above was all business in God's service. No, it's not. No, it's not. Change your signature to it's about me. But someone may well say, you have faith. But watch these words. Who do you say? Someone. Now, this is, this is a tricky. I know Greek matters to me and you. But if there's someone saying it, that means someone was con- contention that I could sit here without it. Hear me out. He's answering somebody. So sometimes what he's doing is leaving out the somebody, but he's telling you someone is walking around saying, as long as I got faith, I ain't got to do jack. He says, someone will say that you can have faith and have no works. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm fixing to contend with that. So this starts his argumentation. So what does the word works really mean? He's saying it is deeds of humanity exhibiting a consistent moral moral connect context, whether good or bad. It's just a general terminology. But since you have a genuine devotion that is now connected to the word works, that means the moral what? Character and behavior has to match the morality of your God. So you can't come tell me, Pierre, you don't realize how much good I did today if it don't match the devotion. That's why Greek words matter. Because if you're going to sit here and say, you don't understand, Pierre, I saw somebody on the street. I dug in my cup holder and gave them not even the pennies. I gave them the silver, too. Hey, man, if that was on your heart, do it. Please do. But when was the last time you went to a homeless shelter and actually gave them the gospel? We don't mind lazy work. And we don't even mind work that makes us look good. But what about that grimy work? The work that nobody sees? Because you know who did good work? Pharisees. When they was fasting, what was they doing? Ooh, uh, uh. Uh. When they was praying, what was they doing? Ringing bells up and down the streets like we fixing to go into prayer time, want to join? Because some of us have a bad heart, but good work. And then when God to bless a bad heart, and he's like, I know why you're doing it. Your reward is on earth. So don't ever think that God don't see the heart behind the work. Because if your faith don't match the work, he's not going to bless the faith because that wasn't a faithful act. It's the morality that matters in your act. How many of y'all, if you come home, wife is upset, you know it's your fault. You like drop the flowers on the table. No, 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 no. God is like, I'm not blessing the flowers. 
and neither is your wife. Thank you. <laughs> she know the morality. You ain't made it that good yet, but let's keep moving in the text. He says, someone is telling you the wrong information. He says, but someone may well say you have faith in no works. Show me. Now, here's the kicker word. Prove it to me. Mm. How many of us want to prove it? Nobody likes when somebody asks you to prove it. He's saying, show it to me. But guess what he's trying to get you to understand? The only way to show your faith is by how you move. There's no other way to measure. Remember when we talk about don't judge nobody, only God can judge me. If you have that tattooed, I'm sorry. (laughs) The tattoo shop led you wrong. Because guess what? I am allowed to know your fruit. You know how I put this? I'm going to be very careful how I say this. I got two sons and a daughter. And if somebody comes to date either one of them and they give me the respect of seeing them first, which they should and they better because one of them's here. I wouldn't necessarily judge them by their appearance. But if they let me get to know their actions. But if he fail in every class, tell my I'm going to take care of your daughter. No, you're not. You can't take care of yourself. But then up here, you judgmental. No, I'm looking at the fruit. But nobody would get mad at me for protecting my children. So why in the world do you think you're not allowed to know somebody by their fruit? The reason why we have no discernment and when we date, because some of us ain't patient enough to look at the fruit in the first place. You can know a tree by its fruit. But some of us too impatient in our dating, all we want to do is see the tree and be like, fruit look good to me. (laughs) That trunk is solid. (laughs) Moving on. Prove it to me. Show me. I love, I love, I love the fact that we have and I get the chance to be a part of a healthy church. But at some point we have to start questioning which fruit is actually going to do something. Prove it to me and not to me. Because I ain't nobody. Prove it to God. That his, your faith is genuine. You know what this word means? It's genuine. It's real. But I can't tell you if it's real because every time you face a trial, because don't forget these people, not only were they being morally wrong, they were also facing trials. So he was like, hey, when you're facing trials, I hope your faith shows it's true. Because sometimes you can't tell the realness of a person until you're in the midst of a trial. I always tell people when you're in your honeymoon season of your relationships, it's always good. I love the way he don't fold his clothes. And he just leaves it here for me to pick up. I'm just joking. That's not true. But when it hits reality, well, that's when you see the real person. That's when you see if it's genuine or not. But people ain't patient to figure out the genuine sense because we okay with fake. We okay with Facebook and Instagram relationships. We okay with dressing it up. The last time I, kept, I, you know, I checked, you can't dress a pig. There's proof to it. 
Let's get back to the text. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. So I'm going to show it to you. I can prove it. Mm, man. You believe that God is one. Now he starts talking about your knowledge. If you go earlier in chapter one, he says faith and wisdom have to go together. He's saying, no, 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 no. If you have faith, you should request God for wisdom because if you ask in faith, he'll give you wisdom so that you can act it out. So all this chapter is connecting. This is not a disconnected chapter. This is a beautiful chapter. James is connecting everything for you. He's saying your faith is continual. It does everything. If you have faith that you ask God for wisdom, he will give you wisdom so you can act it out. Stop saying you have faith and acting in contradiction to your wisdom. You believe that God is one. So here he talked about the dead part. Dead means it's inactive. It doesn't do anything. But then he uses this word useless in a second. But then he attacks the knowledge of the orthodox. Here, here. When we had action figures, let's be real. I think what's lacking in the new generation is imagination. Now, I ain't trying to sound like the old guy. Because, you know, the old guy always attacks the younger generation. I don't want to be that guy. You know why? Because I sat in meetings where everybody's like, the millennials. Like they had disease. The millennials are coming. <laughs> Man, when you put a the in front of something, it's always bad. The millennials. And then the funny thing is they look at me like, aren't you one? I'm like, Man, I'm barely in there, dog. Because the way y'all talk about it, I barely made it. So I don't want to be that guy, but I do think when we put kids in front of electronics, we, we strip them of what we used to do. Y'all remember? We used to do this thing where I'm sure I'm not saying these ladies are men used to play house where you give characters names. Like you would come home from school, finish your homework, and then the next day you'd be pick up the, and you'd be like picking up the story from yesterday. <laughs> Act like they were asleep, but now they awake, brother. We, we had imagination. We used to set up, remember them toy soldiers that had no hinges? Remember them, them things from the dollar store that had like this, the base? All I could do was just sit there like this. <laughs> See, y'all know where I'm at. <laughs> and guess what you would do? It, ladies and gents, guess what you would do? You would put the soldiers and they were like, this man shooting that dude. <laughs> and then all you could do was turn the base. <laughs> he had no hinges. You'd be like, and then that man gets shot. You just flick him. Yeah, that's it. It was imagination. But that's what God's looking at the body of Christ and saying, man, I wish I, I have an imagination of what they were supposed to do. But ain't none of them moving. I mean, I know what I built them to do. But they as good as if they was in the bag in the first place. Because even though I put them in the right positions, ain't none of them moved. See, God looks at the church and it was like, ooh, if they only knew their potential. Ooh, if they only knew which way he was supposed to be facing. Oh, if he only knew that that enemy would be gone. But they just want to stay in the bag. How many of y'all are just sitting there in the bag saying, man, that looked cool. Helping that person was a good idea, but you lack an imagination. Because right here he tells you, 
You can have all the knowledge in the world. Because demons have that too. This finna hurt. Me too. You believe that God is one. That means you have an orthodox view of God. Well, who is he talking to? Some people believe the 12 tribes of Israel. Some people believe he's talking to the Gentiles in their inclusion into the gospel. Either way, no matter what audience you think he's talking to, he's saying we have an orthodox view of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune God. So do demons. And you're like, Pierre, make that make sense. Either way, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where it says the Lord is one. You can go to Mark 12, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, and he can say, hey, we have a faith that is boasted on the Lord our God. So I just want you to get you the background of what he's saying. But then he says something that should rock your entire world. You do well, the demons also believe to the point that they shudder. Now, if you don't believe this true, go to the New Testament in the Gospels when we talk about the story where they were what? They were in two, two people. They were running around causing havoc. The, Jesus walks into the picture and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. At least throw us into the pigs so we can just, just, just do what you got to do. So even they got a what? Fear. Because they know God is real. Whew. You know, I'm not going to lie, immature faith in God is the one that's only scared of God. That means they know God is real, so they're scared of the results of their sin. But they have no genuine relationship. They're just scared of what happens when they don't do what he thinks he says. How many of us done that? Where we like, man, God, I got to go to church because if I don't, I'm going to lose my job. Some of us came today. And was like, man, man, I heard his service is a little shorter than first service. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Some of us maintain purity, not because of your purity towards God, but only because you're scared of what happens when you have sex. But that's not relationship. That's fear. Because even demons tremble in fear. Because they know God is real. But when will your relationship mature? To the point where it's now about your relationship, the reason why you are not impure, the reason why you don't shack, the reason why you don't do what you're not supposed to do is because you know if you do, I'm messing up my relationship. Fear only leads, you know, I tell people when they come to me after they make a mistake, like, you don't know, I just jacked up. And I'm like, bro, this is temporary, fam. This emotion you feel? That's temporary results. And they be setting up all these hard line rules. I will never talk to her or make eye contact with her. I will never touch them. We won't hold hands. I'm like, okay, give them a week. <laughs> but when it's like, man, I just, I just sinned against my God. That's when the heart change happens. That's when the relationship is real. You start honoring and loving your husband, not because of the relationship is good with your husband or your wife. You start doing it because God says do it. And you're like, I don't want to mess up my relationship with God. So I'm going to honor my husband, even if he, I don't think he deserves it. Because the relationship matters. Sometimes it's how we raise our children, too. We give them fear. We don't give them relationship. 
And then wonder when they finally get grown and you kick them out the house at 18, somehow down this American standard of adulthood and maturity, and you wonder why they never come home, you gave them fear. You never gave them relationship. There's a difference. It says that you do well, but are you willing to watch these words? Recognize. That means, are you willing to grasp the meaning of you foolish fellow? Man, look, my dad wouldn't let us say the word fool in the house. Don't ask me why. I mean, I know why, because he had us down for three hours and told us. (laughs) He gave us the word study from the Old Testament to the New. Me and Paul, we had, you know, me and Paul both got big heads. Mine's more of a hook. His is more round and has more equals. Both of us like this. See, my head had the weight in the back, so his went this way. Paul was like this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to get off of my little tangent. He's sitting right here. Now, fool, you never call your brother a fool. <laughs> never ask him why. <laughs> but Paul done behind... Why, Dad? But, <laughs> Let me tell you why. Open your Bibles. <laughs> My son is never going to be a fool. You know who a fool is? What is it, Dad? A fool is someone who knows better, but don't do nothing. So God looks at you and he's like, are you a fool who knows what to do, but don't do nothing? You know who to date, but you DM the same chick. You know what you shouldn't be doing, but you texting at 10 p.m. what you're doing. (laughs) I'm paying attention. For those online, somebody says something that got me distracted. For those who know, hey, you know what? I know how to treat my husband. I know how to treat my wife. And don't do it, you foolish fellow. Because you know what wisdom is? It's not the head knowledge, because guess what he just talked about with the demons? They got the orthodox view. They have no wisdom. Because how in the world could you know God is real, shudder in his presence, and then go do demonic stuff? And you're like, they stupid. Are they? (laughs) Because how can some of us have an orthodox view of God and go home and treat your husband the same way you treated him this morning? I'm not saying you demon possessed. (laughs) But I am saying it ain't godly. Because demons can't possess where the Holy Spirit is present. But you definitely can be influenced. Or you could just choose it on your own fleshly desires. That's on you. So here's the kicker. How in the world could you shudder at God, but then not do what he says, you foolish fellow? 
because we have a lot of people that say they have faith but no wisdom. Because you know what wisdom is? It's a person who knows what to do and does it. It says, but you are willing to recognize that faith without works is useless. Now, let me define useless for you since we talked about dead already. Let's talk about useless. Useless is unproductive. That's it. You're worthless. That's what it says. This is going to, I said, this sermon might hurt, but it's truthful. When God reviews your life, not for your JD, not for your job, not for your income, not for what we have classified as value, not for your marital status, not for all the things. When he reviews your life, does he say, well done. Good and faithful manager? Six-figure? Ph.D.? Uh, uh-uh. servant. So, my servants, are you good and faithful? Because when he looks at your life, does he say you're productive? Or does when he look at your life, he was like, come on in. You saved. And you sitting there waiting on him to say good and faithful. He's like, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just get in. <laughs> <laughs> he passing out crowns, you walk, he like, nope. <laughs> you get a hat. <laughs> Look at Lake McDonald's when they used to get the Burger King and they give the king hat. Yours is made out of paper. He passing out mansions, you getting something else. You got an apartment and a condo. Like, oh, man. I'm joking. Let me stop. You wasn't productive. But then he starts telling you what productive looks like. Then he starts telling you what works are looking like. Then he puts some classifications. He gives you a model. Not only, obviously, Jesus, but he gives you somebody else that they should all know, especially if they're the 12 tribes of Israel. It makes sense. He gives them their forefather, Abraham. You know what? I, I don't know if some of y'all have Androids. But iPhones iPhones, what they do, they started realizing that on the back end of the software, things were still running and draining your battery. So they would say, hey, this app is running in your background. Do you still want it to run? This is a one way. I don't see you. Be productive. <laughs> But I want you to understand, some apps don't need to run in the background, but some do. I'll give you one that matters, that AC one. If you have an AC that's automated, it, lets, it tracks you as you leave the house, and it'll turn the AC up if everybody leaves the house. So it's working based on where you are. Because it keeps working. So when you walk in the house, it knows you're present. It turns everything back down. It's an automated system. God is looking at you. It's like, I need an always running app with you. That's always working, even in the background. That even when you're not at church, you're still working. Even when you leave this building. Even when the location changes. 
You're still working. Because when you walk back in here, you set the temperature. Because when you walk back in church, your heart is already on the right temp. The church temperature is not set by the person who turns it on. The church temperature is set by you. You're not waiting on a good word before the temperature's set. You walked in because you've been running all week. I pray that our church goes into a works church, but not because we lack faith, not because we come legalistic. It's because it's the evidence of our relationship. It's the evidence of our genuine relationship. So then he says, hey, um, Abraham had it. I wish I can give you the whole story of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, this word justified is tricky because you think he's contradicting Paul. Theologically, he's not. He's not talking about the forensic, and this word may mean something to you. He's not talking about whether you're qualified to be saved or or if you are saved. He's not even talking about that because the word justified means to be made right. He's not talking about if you're salvifically right. That was done only through Jesus. He's the only one who could what? Justify you. He's talking about the proof. Is it right? Do you show that your salvation was right upon God, Jesus' work on the cross. He's saying, hey, when Abraham did what he did, he was justified. Meaning God said, ah, now I see. Man. I wonder if God would have put you on a stand. And he's like, I know you're saved, but give me some evidence. Because that's what this word is talking about. He keeps using the word show, prove. Now, guess what these words, he's not, he's not saying, are you saved? He's saying, demonstrate it. Give me evidence. Prove it to me. Because let me tell you the story of Abraham, and don't tell me this don't work. Because Abraham just had a son after waiting 25 years. A son that was promised that his wife laughed at, and he was even questioning, God, how could I have a son? He gives him the son and then tells him to go sacrifice his son. But if I had time to break down the story, what did he ask him to sacrifice? The one thing that he promised. But not only did he ask him to sacrifice the one thing that he was promised, he gave him that sacrificing your hope and your future. That's sacrificing the thing you love most. Prove it to me. Oh, nobody wants to talk about the thing you love most. Give it to me. So I ask you a heart question. What do you hold that's your Isaac? Is it your wealth, your security, your savings, your 401, your retirement, your your ability to have medical attention? What is it? When you go to the doctor, is it in God's hands or is it in the doctor's hand? What is your security blanket? What do you hold dear? And God's like, give it to me. I wonder how many people would have better marriages if they gave it to God. I wonder how many people are more content in their singleness. And even some of us who are, want to remain single, amen, how many of you would be saying, God, I give it to you. So I'm having to go to every church service on the prowl. I go to church service to worship because I gave it to you. Here's my Isaac. You know what mine is that nobody wants to talk about? Self. Sometimes it's not your money. You, you won't sacrifice yourself. 
You let your emotions run you, you and your pride dictate you. You get in arguments only based on pride and self. Putting on the altar of self-righteousness that I deserve, I don't deserve to be on the altar in the first place. God, look at me. I go to church every Sunday. You can't put me here. And God's looking at you. I put what I want because I'm the giver of the promise. The question comes down to is, do you have faith? But you don't get the rest of the story. Abraham walking up only with his son. Now picture the story. Old buddy looked at his dad and was like, yo, what, what we sacrificing? This man ain't dumb. <laughs> Say, Pop, just ask him. <laughs> just for clarity, <laughs> I noticed you didn't have nothing with you. <laughs> All of a sudden, he started dragging back a little bit. Like, yeah, man, that's crazy. <laughs> no hesitation. God will provide. Because if God gave me the promise, he's also going to keep his promise. And because I have genuine relationship and faith in that, let's go, Isaac. I don't know how many of us are walking up saying, God, you're going to do it. Because this word proof gets better. It means test. This word he's fixing to use, perfected. Do you know how your faith is perfected? It's not when you blessed, worldly sense, it's when you're tested. Because you know what perfected means in the Greek? Completed. He's saying your faith is completed as you are tested. The problem with preachers and Christians and theology is we do what? We don't want the test. And God is like, that's how I know you real. Some of us think we real because we blessed right now. Let God take it away and see what happens. That some of our attendance and our worship is predicated on God's blessings, but not his testing. That he's saying right here, you can look at it yourself. It says, so was not Abraham justified by his work when he offered up? And he says, you see, the faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Look, man, I, I've told y'all my testimony that I failed this one. I never walk up on the stage thinking I'm perfect. I know when God tested me, I failed. I can tell you the date. I can tell you where I was sitting. I told you everything. It's not a problem for me to admit that tests are not fun. Who walks into school when you was a kid talking, man, I can't wait for test date. <laughs> Nobody. But tests prove whether you learned or not. Tests prove whether you as wise as you say or not. This whole thing starts to what? Connect because then he's the same person that's like, hey, rejoice in your trials and tribulations. Because that's why I know you have faith. That you'll be the same genuine relationship you had that you claimed is the same when I tested and it was perfected. The question I ask to some of y'all is, does the perfecting of your faith matter to you as much as your blessings? Does the trial matter just as much as your blessings? I can't say I enjoy it, y'all. When, when they found a lump in Monica's breath, breast, I did not enjoy it. I was sitting in the weight room, boo-hooing, 
Think about everything that could happen. I learned my lesson with Natalia, so I started praising him. The emotions will still be there. You still won't enjoy the test, but you have to pass it. Abraham wasn't it, like skipping. He wasn't like, yeah, I can't wait to put a knife in this man. <laughs> this man getting on my nerves all day asking all these dumb questions. I'm not asking you to skip. I'm asking you to praise. I'm asking you to rejoice. I'm asking you to live it. I'm asking you to keep wisdom. I'm asking you to serve. I'm asking you to pass your test because when you do, your faith is complete. So all my people having marital issues, pass it. It makes your marriage stronger. All my singles, pass it. When he texts, she texts, pass it. When you use the bad relationship, pass it. When you know this ain't the trunk or the tree or the fruit, pass it, literally, to the next one. <laughs> when they're passing it, keep it passing. <laughs> this word works. Pass the test. Living where is never going to be a place where we guarantee no suffering, but we can be a place that believes in a God who will get you through it. Because he says this, and this is where I think it's a beautiful place to conclude, because he says this. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteous. Guess what? His friends didn't call him righteous. Doggone Isaac definitely didn't call him righteous. Who called him righteous? God. I want to get to a point where it doesn't matter what y'all think about me. But when my God looks down and I pass the test, y'all can talk behind my back all day. I want to get to a point where it's like, look, me and God, he said I passed. The only teacher that can give me a check mark and a sticker is God himself. So you can talk about me. I know I'm not no perfect preacher. I ain't the best preacher. I ain't the one that you like. Man, I can't wait to listen to his podcast. Have them. Talk about me. But if God looks down on me and says, you passed, that's good enough for me. But then the last part is even more beautiful. And he was called a friend of God. That's it. I'm not going to even try to illustrate that. When you look at your life and you pass the test, he's saying, come here, friend. That relationship that you've been claiming is real. It's genuine. It's both-sided. I've always been your friend, but yet now, you a friend. See, we have all these people singing, I am a friend of God. And justified you are, meaning through his blood you are. You're no longer an enemy. 
But he's not talking about whether or not you're an enemy in this text. He's asking whether or not we genuine. Because a lot of us have associates. Not a lot of us have friends. You know, the crazy thing about action figures is that we've learned in America to value things that are unused. Let me explain. Shoes, you can't wear them because they're now called collectibles. And then we have to wait till the person dies for them to have value. It's going to make sense. Purses. We've learned to say this purse is worth something, but you can't put anything in it. You can't bend it. We have people at schools that walk around their Jordans like this. <laughs> and the Air Force Ones can't crease. But the world has switched the definition of value. Because action figures, you put them in a box and then somebody says, well, it's unused, untouched, unplayed with. And I can't find it no more. It's a collectible. But God looks at you as like, that's not how I define collectibles. I look at the one that's worn, beat up, hit them streets. I look at the one that I said was valuable and it got to work. And then when he comes to heaven, I collect him. That's mine. That's the friend. That's the good and faithful servant. Let me show you what faithful looks like because I'm going to reward him for his service. Not as uselessness. So church, stop walking around this church uncreased. Stop walking around this church with nothing in you. You have to start saying, I want creased. I want to be used. God, use me. Pass the test. I want the trial. Give it to me because I hope I pass. That is the test. I am tired of people walking around like Jordan Christians. You don't do nothing. We can't hoop in you no more. And you're uncomfortable. Give me the one I can use. Let's go to work. Let us pray.